When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered ChumbaCasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello and welcome to episode 151 of the Brighton Rock podcast. I forgot to big up the fact we were on episode 150 when we were doing that one, never mind. Um, we're on to 151 and it's the Euros part four, where we are welcoming back for, well, the first time during the Euros segment of this operation to Andy Knott, Paddy Bass and Robin Woolley. How are you fellas? All doing well? Yeah, yeah good thanks. thanks. Excellent. Looking good. Robin's got a slick new haircut. Um, <laughs> Andy is looking as studious as ever with his bookshelf in the background. And uh, Andy K, that is, and Andy B is looking very relaxed and chilled in the usual style as well. Lovely to see. Um, well, Euros. Um, last time we were doing one of these, it was just after England had um, beaten Germany, which was rather nice um, mm. and rather rare. And um, since then, we've gone on to beat Ukraine 4-0 in the weekend fixture going to talk about that in a little bit a little bit later but just in general um have you enjoyed the tournament boys um robin i haven't spoken to you for ages let's go with you first how have yeah, you found it really enjoyed it um var has not had an impact really it's been great i mean particularly in the germany game i didn't even really give much thought to either of the goals being ruled out it was just genuine kind of celebrations back how it used to be the only one that i had a slight I thought might be reviewed was Harry Kane's first one against Ukraine, just because with those reverse balls and where someone suddenly finds mm-hmm. loads of space in the penalty area, you kind of think, surely he's, it's either a brilliant pass or he's offside. Um, but even that, you know, there was no, no particular delay. And obviously it seems to be the non-English referees who have implemented VAR in the same way that it's presumably implemented in their domestic leagues. So if we could have VAR in the Premier League, how it's been in the Euros, then I would be a lot more positive about it. But I've enjoyed I've enjoyed the whole tournament really. There's been some excellent games. Um, Switzerland, I really enjoyed watching them. I thought they were great. Denmark obviously had the you know the Christian Eriksen factor, which has sort of galvanised them. Um, Italy, I think, will probably win the whole thing on balance. And it's quite an unusual Italian team in that you know you've got the traditional sort of defensive steel with 
Donnarumma and Benucci and Chiellini, but they've also got a bit of attacking flair. Um, so they've been enjoyable to watch Belgium do what Belgium normally do, which is they get quite close and then stumble at the, <laughs> stumble when it gets towards the business end. Um, yeah. And England, you know, I've enjoyed watching them. It seems that they, they genuinely enjoy playing for England, which is something which can't really have said about a lot of squads. And I think there's a big similarity between Southgate and Mancini, I think, bizarrely, in that they both took over the jobs at a time where, you know, the countries had, were at a pretty low ebb. I mean, Italy had failed to qualify for the World Cup, hadn't they? Which is kind of, I mean, you don't really think of a World Cup without Italy, to be honest. But so Mancini came in when they were a bit of a low ebb and he's obviously turned them into, similar to England, an atmosphere where it looks like they're enjoying playing. And I've been quite impressed that he's wanted to use, he made a point of using every player in the squad because he was, you know, when he was, um, you know, Italia 90, he didn't, he was in the squad, but didn't get on the pitch. And it's a similar kind of atmosphere. Southgate seems to have, you know, generated this kind of club atmosphere. So yeah, I've enjoyed it. I mean, I'm fully expecting it to go horrendously wrong tomorrow night, but up till this point, I've enjoyed the whole thing really. Well, Andy B, I don't know if you'd agree with that. And I think there's been a paucity of poor games, hasn't there, actually, which has been great. I'll go along with what Robin said there. And um, lots of entertaining games. It's been absolutely superb, hasn't it? Um, really enjoyable tournament. Yeah, I, I mean, I've, I've loved it. Um, I, you know, I'm not very, I'm not a big fan of the next World Cup. So this is basically my last, hmm. my last go at really sort of throwing myself into a tournament. And um it has not let me down. There's been there's been a very few dud games. You know, the, you know, there have been a couple, but it's it's been really entertaining. Teams have been trying to win. There's been you know some very Brighton esque performances where teams have been massively on top and failed to convert their chances and ended up on the wrong end of a result. Uh, there's been some superb attacking, some brilliant defending, some classic shithousery. Um, very little annoyance from the officials. There's been the odd one or two, but you're going to get that. Um, uh, and I've, I've been absolutely stunned by England. I mean, you know, I've been dining out on humble pie for the last um, couple of weeks, to be perfectly honest. Um, I think I think a few people have, haven't they? A lot of talk of Southgate not I, knowing quite what he's doing and this sort of thing, and, and the, the, the squad selections, the team selections um, as well. There's been a lot of criticism, but it, he's he found a way to make that work, both in terms of the personnel, uh, horses for courses, different games. He's fitted it all together well, and I, I, I agree with you on that one. And um, The I thing mean, that's impressed me most, and I, met, I saw, yeah, I watched the, you know, the first game at Croatia, I thought, yeah, I'll be well, and it, was, it was, wasn't the most exciting thing, and then Everyone was getting a bit antsy after the Scotland game, but you know it's a, that sort of derby game that we we just wanted to get through sort of unscathed, and, and it just suddenly dawned on me before the sort of Czech Republic that this is when I was looking at how other teams like you know Germany or Holland and you Germany in particular, or uh, even like France were like having sticky games in the qualifying in the qualifying group, and I was thinking. Mm-hmm. We're, bre- we're breezing this. Other teams are having to dig deep. And, I, and, and everything we've done has been deliberate. Even if it, you know, 
you might have thought it wasn't on the most entertaining side. It's just pragmatic football that's designed to get you through the tournament. And this is not this is not lucky. It's not down to the opponents. It's about us having a good plan, executing that plan, picking the right players to do it in each game. Gareth, I don't think I can ever remember a, an England team that has been so well coached and managed in a in a tournament situation. It's just been, it's just been very, it's just been excellent to get us to this point. Um, hmm. The Germany game, I thought we were excellent, and then Ukraine has been the one occasion where I have allowed myself to say confidently say before a match, we're going to win this one. There shouldn't be any drama about it, and you know what? There wasn't. Yeah, and Andy Kay, I'm, I'm sure you go along with that, but. He really has managed the team well, hasn't he? It's been, he's kept stuff in the tank. He's kept all the players interested. He's been very careful to, firstly, to praise the three people not involved in the last squad, for example, after the last victory over Ukraine. It's very easy to get caught up in the euphoria and just talk about the good things. But he's, he said, look, it's a shame for those guys. He had his arms around them straight away to, to keep them in the loop. He's managed the tournament well. And as, as, as Andy B says, you have to do that, don't you, to to actually get through this tournament, to get to the, to the really serious stages. You've got to do what the likes of Italy are accustomed to doing, and Germany normally, um, which is to manage um, manage the, the whole camp very well, keep an even keel, utilise the, the full squad, and leave plenty fresh, because Foden's not been used much, Sancho's not been used much. Um, when we've had a knock for Saka, he's been able to be rested for a bit, um, We've, he's he's had the courage to put Maguire back in. Some could say it was a default thing, but he's put Maguire back in. It's easy to have upset the apple cart with Mings there. Um, there's a lot of players have still got game time in them, plenty in, in their legs. And the likes of Kane is is timing his form in the tournament as well, which may be just fortunate, maybe management as well. Um, would you go along with that? And, and what's, what's, what's your been your main take from the tournament so far, Andy? Yeah, um, uh in terms of that, I'll just say something briefly about the tournament and then um, about England. In terms of the tournament, um, despite the bagginess of the tournament, uh, and that's a bit that I don't like, the fact that you, um, you have 16 teams qualifying for the last stage from 24. Despite that, um, I do agree that there have been some great games. I mean, especially the third group games, there were some crackers in there. Um, the Holland-Ukraine game, which was a first one, really did stand out to me. But obviously, the, most of the knockout games have, have been really, really interesting as well. Um, and of the four semi-finalists, I would say that three of them deserve to be there. I'm, I'm not entirely sure that Spain deserved to be there. Um, mm. But having said that, they'll probably go and win it. Um, <laughs> Uh, but I, I would doubt it. Um, I mean, to, to me, Italy extremely well organised, and there is the unity um, in terms of Italy um, that uh, obviously Denmark have got um, as a result of um, that really upsetting experience. Whether and um, I was watching TV cameras on that and had to turn it over in mm. the end because. Uh, it felt as though I was prying into what should be a quite personal experience. Hmm. 
Um, but England, um, well, I'm not going to eat humble pie in terms of Southgate because I've always quite liked him. Um, I think he's extremely articulate and he's done some much better things in terms of how the England football team can project something towards... Um, um, well, I'd say a far more positive image to what has been a quite fractured um, kind of negative um, decade or so um, um, across politics, culture. Yeah. He, he hits all the notes, doesn't he, as well, he, both in yeah. pre-match, that, post-match, in general, in conversation, in between in between tournaments. He's He always I strikes mean, the right notes, doesn't he? That He's, letter that he wrote beforehand was... was Hmm. outstanding it really was um and in terms of brighton fans um obviously the palace connection is probably um not uh, um uh, 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 enabled the most favorable kind of assessment of him but <laughs> come on he, he took england to a semi-final in the world cup now i'm 52 um that's only happened once i think other than that um, in my lifetime. Um, and um, what strikes me about England, this tournament, is he's actually set them up to go all the way in the tournament. Yeah. Um, I mean, England have gotten to the semi-finals. They're yet to concede a goal, which is, you know, extreme. Well, it's exceptional. It really is. Um and okay, at times we haven't played with the greatest amount of flair or kind of commitment towards tearing the opposition apart. Um, but well enough, and I suppose what impresses me the most is the way in which England have played in really intensive spells um, where they have demolish the opposition basically um mm. and then they've gone back to periods where they're just conserving their energy and that's what i mean by um southgate seems to have set them up to go all the way uh, mm. and i've never seen the manager do that for an england football team in my lifetime yeah i i, I totally agree with that point because it's so noticeable uh, how he's just focused on the job in hand. It's like, yeah, my job's to get to the final and win this thing. This is what we need to do to do it. Yeah, we'll 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 get our punches in, get the goals, then we'll then we'll take care of business and make sure that we don't throw it away. Um, and and the, you know, we the, we dictate the game. You know, so we're playing our game. I mean, you know, people are saying, well, we haven't seen England go behind yet. Well, there's a reason for that. Because we've not let teams go ahead of us, you know we've we've played well and um, it's been exceptional from Southgate, who I've always admired as a person, and I think he's a great ambassador for the for the sport. This is evidenced by the way he's, he's put together a really likable squad that even jaded old cynics like me can get excited about supporting. But in this tournament, he's shown me that aside from all those sort of outside reports, he's got a very good football brain 
and one that you know I have to say I wasn't readily acknowledging beforehand but but you just cannot argue with what he's done up to this point and to be honest it's already been a success for England um I think this is a terrific squad of players the fact that you have all these debates about oh we need to get this this guy in this guy in this guy in it just goes to show like you know who are you going to leave out um and you know you know they'll get a go when when we need them when we need to use them and like these these players are all pieces of the puzzle and uh yeah I 100%, 100% agree with you. Yeah, I mean, the thing with the, the so-called golden generation, I know Belgium are maybe experiencing this in some way now. They, they've got a, a, a bunch of players who they would probably feel should have done better and they seem to be perennial quarter-finalists slash semi-finalists no more. When we had that generation with Gerard um, and um, Beckham and all the others, Rio Ferdinand, there were cliques in the team, which we discovered later on when people like Rio Ferdinand were talking about that, which was very interesting, fascinating and honest to hear, but also pretty frustrating because we felt there was so much more that we could have done with that with that team. We didn't really get the right managers when all said and done. And the players were very, very distant. And I do think it has come back around to a more personal, personable um, persona in that England team, both individually and collectively. Um it stems back to the 2018 World Cup, doesn't it, with that, the, the junkets and the stuff that were going on pre-tournament, um, which was a brilliant move. And I think it, obviously it was it was hitting the right notes, but it was it was felt out by knowing what these individuals were like. They would handle and be suitable for that situation. It's it's led to the the public really f- finding favour with them again, apart from the idiots. And now we've got, we're seeing the benefits of that ongoing project. As you said, it feels more like club football. You're seeing the understanding between players that you wouldn't have done before when you've got cliques in the team. And when you've got trying to fit square pegs in round holes, Southgate is not afraid to not try and do that in, for, just for the benefit of getting the highest profile players in there. Foden's had an outstanding season. Sancho's had an outstanding season. Chilwell would have been most people's choice as a left-back instead of Shaw, albeit Shaw did have a very good season. Um, he's not afraid to make those decisions and he's kept everyone happy doing so. And I think, as you said, you've managed this with the big picture in mind of getting to the final. That's that's the objective. In the past, for me, I've, I've felt, and I think most people have, that there's been this sort of gung-ho spirit attitude of, oh, let's just throw our best players at it and just attack the opposition. And we're England, we can out, out-gun people. No, it's not like that. You have to get lots of subtle details right, as well as having that attacking flair and whatever else and defensive solidity that we have had in the past. I don't think we've got the best defenders we've had. I think that golden generation was certainly better defensively than than this one. But that doesn't matter um, if you've got flexibility with those with the defence, you can have a three or a four, the wing-backs. I think we're better in that regard. And I think that we've um, collectively just found a way to utilise the squad in, in the best way and not necessarily the obvious names. Um, a lot of people would have clambered for Grealish as well, of course, there's another name we haven't mentioned yet. But uh, Grealish, Foden, Sancho, that's the names people were shouting about, weren't they? And, you know, we've we've coped largely without them actually which is interesting anyway back to you Andy Kay yeah I mean uh, I think you're quite right to invoke 2018 and that just kind of change in the atmosphere around mm. um, the England squad because he's managed to make them um, both at ease and focused and I think 
those two are quite difficult to combine. Um, and they certainly seem to be a collective. Um, uh, so yeah, um, extremely impressive. Um, uh, I mean, the, the name that hasn't been mentioned that really does deserve to be mentioned, who I think is currently favorite to be player of the tournament is Raheem Sterling, who is just yeah. exceptional. Um, uh, I, I mean, I, I think Luke Shaw's been getting there as well, actually. Yeah. Um, and, and Sterling um, was, a lot of people were clambering to have him not start, weren't they, as well? Yeah, they, they were. And, you know, I, I am a fan of Grealish um, as a player. Um, um, and I also like his kind of joyful love of the game. I'm not sure I necessarily like him as a person, but there is something kind of Gascoigne-esque about his his passion for the game and his his desire to entertain. You know, really, I'd like to see a little bit more of Jack Grealish, um, and I suspect we probably will see a little bit more of Jack Grealish um, in the next game, and if there is one after that as well. Um, but yeah, um, you're, you're right about the formations. I mean, largely the kind of initial reaction has been negative about the kind of defensiveness of the formations that have been selected. But, you know, from this current vantage point, he seems to be vindicated. Um, yeah, what he's done. completely vindicated. Every single decision he's made has not been met with universal approval but i think now every you know certainly my attitude is like you've shown me that what you're doing is right and what i'm talking about is nonsense it's it's always nice for you. you're, you're you're the man in charge just <laughs> just carry on doing what you're doing if you think it's the right thing then you have earned you have earned the trust of everybody supporting this team um and I, yeah, I'm really, I'm really pleased because I did, because um, I do, I do like Southgate. I, mm. I just never thought he was a, a good football manager. I think I think he did a particularly brilliant job in club football. Um, but but he's he's shown some real acumen here, and it's and it's quite high level. It's like you know we kind of look like how. You know, teams like Germany and Italy used to go through tournaments without really being particularly troubled and they just kind of inevitably rolled on because they just had that little bit of tournament now. So England have never had tournament now. No. We've always been chest beating, lions roaring, flags waving, yeah. blood thunder, let's go for it. It's all like, you know, in, you know invoking this, that or the other. As always, this big sort of this has just been a team that's just gone about its business. Hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Well. I totally agree. We've we've always had that hang up, haven't we, about the gung ho approach? You could even see it with Boris Johnson with that ridiculous scenario of him shaking hands with everyone in hospitals when the COVID crisis struck. You almost seem to be suggesting we could just fight this with sheer bloody mindedness and stiff upper lips and all that sort of thing. And it really doesn't work on its own, does it? You do need to have passion, of course. Um, and I think these players um, want to play for 
each other. I think the difference is, you, I think players have always wanted to play for their country. I don't think they've ever not given a shit. But I do think that these players really want to play for each other and for the public that bit more than maybe previous regimes because of the circumstances and the way it's it's panned out. Just a quick word before I go back to you, Andy Kay, on, on Southgate. It's interesting because it, this sort of tracks back to the Albion connection of Dan Ashworth being with the oh, FA. and he that's, was, that's what I was going to mention. Go. Well, I'll let, you, I'll let you elaborate on that in a moment then. Sorry, sorry to steal your thunder. But since then, we've obviously we've got we've had Southgate, who is with the 21s, and he's been part of the build up of the succession planning that I think they wanted to put into place in the, on the managerial side of things, at least. So I'll say that. And um, and, and yet, interestingly, he was quite reluctant to take over from Allardyce when that role came up, on a, at least on a permanent basis, which is intriguing because it seemed the ready-made role based on what he'd done with the 21 or 21s, 23s, whatever it is, 21s, isn't it? Um, and yeah, he's he's inhabited the role. He's he's suited it perfectly, and um, it's it's worked out well. But I'll, I'll let you, Andy, uh, go into more detail on the DNA side of things. Well, the DNA, or I, I don't know if um, Dan Ashworth's middle name is Neil or something like that, or M- Nicholas. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, nice! I like it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, I think there are similarities between Southgate and Potter in terms of their well, yeah, um, the term would be emotional intelligence um, and the mm. way in which that they, um, they're they almost brothers, but also uh, uncles or fathers to other players. And, and um, there, there is just a completely different style of management in terms of personnel management to you know, the classical managers over the last few decades. Um, And, you you know, the optimist in me says that an awful lot of this kind of groundwork was laid by Dan Ashworth, and it may well be that um, with Brighton, we're going to reap the benefits of it over the next few years, which Russell, I think, uh, you and your your listener may well remember. Um, I've been quite keen to point out, even when things perhaps haven't been going um, as well as they could be result-wise for for Brighton. I mean, I, I think compared to um, a team that Southgate used to play for, um, things are pointed in the right direction for Brighton. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, I thoroughly agree with all of that. There was a, there was actually an, uh, an interesting article in Athletic this week about the building blocks behind this renaissance of England, and um, and Dan Ashworth was was a prominent part of that article actually. That's right. Yeah. Um, and I think he is, in retrospect, getting quite a bit of credit, basically for setting up St George's Park. Hmm. Um, and the work, the work that they did there. And yeah, like you were saying, Andy, I think with with the Albion, it's kind of coming together a little bit. Now the, the plan is the plan is clearer. We're going to talk about the Albion a bit later, but I think it's relevant to, to this particular point about England, is that the plan was there. It was never going to work straight away, but they stuck with it were not diverted from its course and just worked its way through. And now and now you're seeing 
the results. I think that's the same with this England side in terms of its um, on-field maturity. I think in terms of the way that the Albion are just, yeah, starting to look like they might belong in, in the Premier League and can start looking upwards rather than down. Um, and I think there's been evidence of that this week. Um, and, it, and it's just all, it's just all very encouraging. My, my, my football mojo is pretty high at the moment. I'm, I'm, I'm really enjoying all, all aspects at the moment. Yeah, it's perfect. It's, it's really nice that we're having a good time as England fans, and that the tournament's good. That that coincides even more rarely, doesn't it? I mean, Euro, sorry, World Cup 90, for example, was a good tournament for us up to a point. It actually wasn't a very good tournament overall. Um, we have happy memories of it up to the semi-finals, and then obviously painful ones from there. But um, everything seems to be coming together. Is it all down to the unicorns? I noticed they've, they've resurfaced in the swimming pools of the England uh, uh, base um, this week inflatable unicorns Andy Andy's um do you have any and do you think they have a significant part to play I think it's all down to the unicorns as much as we've been giving praise to Southgate and his tactical acumen you just can't underplay the importance of, a, of an inflatable unicorn when it comes to tournament. absolutely I noticed the rubber chicken or whatever it was they were throwing around playing tag with was, was also present earlier in the tournament. Um, well, one, one person who's present and probably is rather perplexed to be is Carmen Holm, who I noticed has been picked up on, I think it was on Facebook or LinkedIn. Poor lady. That's a real name, Carmen Holm. It's Carmen Holm, and she's going to know about it for a long time to come, isn't she? I think people are going to be bullying her online. <laughs> she doesn't know what's hit her. And various other people with similar variations on the name. Um, Anything? What? Actually, one more thing I wanted to mention about the succession plan and where we've come from to where we are now in terms of England. It's interesting. I, I was of a mind to think back to Greg Dyke's comments, which I I looked up. They came from 2013, where he said that we could win the World Cup in 2022. And I think a number of people openly laughed. I certainly did at the notion. It just seems so fanciful. Now, how much of that is is down to his own particular um, prescription? I don't know. However, that's looking genuinely feasible, isn't it? I mean, if we can potentially win the Euros, we could potentially win the World Cup. Um, it seemed such a long time ago, uh, a long time away, didn't it, in 2013, that such a notion could be actually genuine. Um, but it, we really are in with a chance of it coming home, as they say. Um, what, what do you make of... Is there any more to say on that, really? I don't know. It's, it's kind of... Uh, I, I, think, I think if we win this tournament then we would have to consider ourselves as one of the contenders for the next World Cup. And, mm. you know, I, I just find the Qatari World Cup so loathsome that, that you, know, I, you know, I'm saying now that I, I'm not going to watch any of it. Um, <laughs> Careful, this is getting recorded, just, you know. <laughs> I just, it, just, it just offends me so much. But, yeah. but I... But I really want to watch this team. I do want to see what this team can do because I think they can go on to better things. And I think it's just, it is, from my perspective, it's an annoying, it's annoying that the next tournament that, that's up is is one that shouldn't really be happening. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, but from their perspective, they should consider themselves as a team that might be able to contend. I mean, regardless of what happens this week, certainly if they do win it this week or get to the final at least and put in a good show. Um, but you know, even what they've even from even what they've done now, I would say 
shows that they have the the ability to you know contend yeah. well in, in the in the world Cup. Absolutely. And after all, it is only 18 months away, but I'm sure that's one of the reasons why you've got the qualm with it, the fact that it's ended up being a winter tournament. But um, 18 months from now is not an awful lot of time. It's not an awful lot of time for the likes of Spain and Germany and arguably to a certain extent Portugal, you could say, and other clubs, uh, other countries to get their act together, shall we say. Um, in the meantime, you, you look at England, you look at definitely Spain, Possibly the Netherlands, if they could get themselves sorted a bit better, maybe get a decent manager in, not one who's, who's managed Crystal Palace to oblivion. Um, yeah, there's a few, there's a few nations that might be in there, and obviously you then expand it beyond Europe to look at who else is involved. But there's not an awful lot of dominant-looking nations at the moment, so it, it seems great timing for us to be having a World Cup um, so soon after this one. Um, however, of course, there is plenty of objectionable elements to that tournament. Um, I probably will end up watching it. I've said I, I wouldn't watch much or any of it, but I probably will end up watching it because we're doing so well. Um, but yeah, I, yeah, I, yeah I, I, I fear I may be the same. And I, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. You know, I, I'll, I'll say, but you know, because I, I feel sorry for the, I feel sorry for the, the players who put in these positions by the politicians that run FIFA. It's not their fault. I mean, you know, their job is to go out and play and try and win. You know, and try and win a World Cup, which would be the pinnacle of their career. So, yeah, you know, I bet no ill will to any to any team that, that that goes out and competes in it because that you know that is what these people that's what they live for is is the dream. Um, and then far be it for me to churlishly deny them that. Mm. But um, I think sometimes you, if you kind of have to have a little bit of a principle and just stick to it, even if it's to your own detriment. But, yeah, there you go. But um, that's why I'm so glad I can really enjoy this tournament because it has been good. And there's been lots of surprising other teams. Um, yeah. I've been banging on about England. I liked it when uh, Switzerland were mentioned earlier on. They surprised me greatly. Um and you know, if they didn't have a player, that game against France just, was brilliant, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, oh, sensational game and sensational result. Yeah, I mean, to, to possibly the best twenty minutes of football in this tournament was when France went ahead in that game. Yeah, and then they they went three um, one up to take a battery from a team of that quality, not fold. And then deservedly play your way back into it with great mental strength, good skill, incredible. They they thoroughly deserved it. I'm delighted they won that on penalties. And I thought they were robbed against Spain. I just thought if mm. you know, if that guy hadn't got sent off, if Fru is it Frula, Freuler got sent off, yeah. they wouldn't have they wouldn't have lost yeah. that game at the beginning. Spain, Spain are a shadow of their former selves, aren't they? And they, yeah, they're quality enough to, to grind into later stages, potentially in tournaments, as they have done here. Um, they squeezed through, obviously, in the first of those quarterfinals, didn't they? Uh, one all in normal time, 3-1 on penalties. It's a pretty woeful penalty shootout, actually. Um, but um, in the end, you know, it's a shame for Switzerland. There have been some nice surprises. And Andy Kay, I know you, you were mentioning to me throughout the tournament players that have impressed you. And we'll, we'll come on to talk about these 
in more detail in a minute as we just quickly talk about the quarterfinals. But in general, as an overview, um, who's caught your eye? Mine? Yeah. Uh, well, Sterling. Sterling would be one. Um, mm. Myler, the, the left wing back for Denmark, has been exceptional. Um, mm. That cross that he put in for his second goal was just outrageous skill, but he's been up and down. Most of the Italy players, um, Spinazzola has been really good. Although he hasn't played much of late, Locatelli, um, I think, has looked stunningly good. Um, and although he was ultimately exposed, um, I hadn't seen enough of Frankie de Jong. Um, and he he was just... Well, he's, he's the kind of kind of central midfield fulcrum that kind of dictates play, but he can carry the ball forward as well as having wonderful vision and, and technique and so forth. Uh, for, for the Netherlands, Denzel Dumfries was great, bombing up and down the, the wing as well. Um, I'm trying to think if, if anyone else has stood out. Well, over, over to you two for, for that. Yeah, I'm, I personally, I've really, really enjoyed watching a number of the Danish players. Dolberg, um, as you said, Myla, 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 however you say it, um, has been very good. I quite enjoyed, I think it was Forsberg, isn't it, the Swedish guy? I'm yeah, not sure yeah. he would be a long-term option as a signing necessarily in the Premier League for anyone. I'm not sure if he's maybe just a tournament eye-catcher, you know, in, in isolation. I'm not sure, but he's had a very good tournament. Um, certainly, we've mentioned Sterling. Luke Shaw, just one other one on the England front, Saka, who's come out of nowhere. Nobody thought he was yeah, going to yeah. feature. and he, He's done really well when he's come in, hasn't he? And um, speaking to... Well, oh, actually, sorry, Pickford, Pickford's name needs to be mentioned. Yeah. He's, he's the player that's gone up in my ex, um, estimations the most. Uh, and he seems to have transformed himself. Uh, I, I think he's been seen as a psychologist. And he yeah. used to always remind me of Joe Hart. Kind of really getting pumped up in the tunnel mm. and just carrying that through and making calamities during the game. Um, yeah, he's been thoughtless so far. I think. Yeah, because you don't want your goalies to be pumped up necessarily, yeah. do you? Um, but I agree with you, and notwithstanding that faux pas against Ukraine. See, that's why I think this tournament's for us. Even there, you know, we make, he, he makes a gash, he completely slices at a, as a, a, at a formulate kick, and A, it's completely inconsequential in the, in the sense that we're four or three nil, four nil up at the time, um, so it wouldn't have harmed the actual result. So even when we're making mistakes, we seem to be making them at the right times. And B, we didn't even end up with us conceding a goal, so we still managed to protect that record. It just seems that um, that the stars are aligned for us to at least get to um, a later stage than we are at the moment, which would be great. Um, I agree with you about the Italian players. Um, I've really enjoyed no, I mean, their, 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 their defenders have been great. But they're just they're just superb, aren't they? They're always good, aren't they? In in Sydney's really impressed me as well. More than Immobile, actually, who did have a good season, but I think Insigne's been the more potent attacker. And I mean they've as you said, they've just married up the the typical traditional resilience and defensive nous that they've always had and is embedded in their very bones uh, as a as a nation, as a psyche. It's just in there, isn't it? But they've 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 married that up with some really good attacking flair. And um, it's quite cutting, isn't it? They're very incisive. Um, they've been great. Yeah, I mean, what's impressed me about Italy, and, and I, you know, as a, you know, as a potential opponent, I'm quite frightening, 
just the energy levels. I mean, you're yeah. so used to seeing, you know, Italy put up the, you know, the, you know, the stereotype of Italian football. Um, okay, Nacho, just to like, you know, put mm. up a brick wall, just like lounge around, just block everybody. And this has been like watching Liverpool on steroids. Yeah, no, I agree. <laughs> just been, it has been high energy, high quality football at both ends of the pitch where they have suffocated their opponents, smothered them, not given them, uh, uh, you know, and I mean, apart from the, the I didn't watch the Austria game. I, I do understand Austria gave them quite a decent, quite a decent game in, in that match. But in the, the games that I've watched, they've been absolutely superb. And to, you know, the way that they beat Belgium, you know, apart from the completely hilarious shithousery at the end where they managed to keep the ball in play for the last for 30 seconds of the last 10 minutes of that game which is you know that was vintage I don't know, wasn't it? at some point you almost have to doff your cap and say well you know that is impressive if the referee's not going to pick that up then um you know carry on but um, yeah I, I have to confess i actually did quite revel in the shithousery there this time i usually get infuriated by it but as a neutral i was able to just enjoy the mastery of it brilliant in that game belgium i think you know once belgium i think when if they can pick their first choice team are a match for anybody and worthy of their number one status but once you take a couple of players out they struggle and i just think that's you know they've had injury suspensions and it just didn't they 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 weren't operating on a full tank, whereas Italy yeah. Italy were, and I I just think Italy would be great. I think I think the game against Spain will be interesting because I think Spain have actually been very good going forwards, um, but they not, keep not but, they keep, but, they, but they can't finish. Yeah, um, I I think it's you know you have to start Moreno rather than Morata, although I was delighted that he got. That goal against Croatia, which was an absolute goal. Yeah, yeah it's a really lovely goal. And um uh, yeah, and I really enjoyed Spain in that match. I thought they were really entertained. That was a that was a great game as well. Mm. Really good match and really good high quality football. I just think Italy just have the edge in every part. The they're, they're terrifying, aren't they? They're really yeah. terrifying. Um yeah. I did wonder with Belgium. I mean, they, they've swept Belgium aside, essentially, didn't they? They managed them out of the game. And um, I, mean, I do wonder if there's criticisms of Martinez. There is talk that he's just not, his contract's going to carry on. He's not going not to leave. And I wonder if they're squandering anything. Is Martinez not really f- fulfilling their potential for them? Um, I, I just okay. wonder in terms of, Chadley came on, didn't he, late in the game? And although he put in one good cross, I'm wondering if, you know, you're, you're looking at the buzz on the pulse and would that not have been a moment? I know we've got our Albion hats on here, but would that not have been a moment for Trossard to come in? He's, he's done well when he's played for them recently. Chadley feels like yesterday's man without being rude to him, which I've just been. But uh... <laughs> Yeah. Um, well, in terms of Belgium, I, I don't think their squad is, is that deep. Um, and in contrast to Italy... Um, the age of the defenders shows, but in a bad way, whereas Italy, the 35 and 36-year-old, they're, I mean, they're, they're just absolutely um, composite defenders, central defenders. They're just Bellucci so... and Chiellini. Yeah. yeah. Um, and obviously the goalie behind them is really, really good as well. 
Um, so I I never really fancied um, Belgium at the outset. You know, I mean, you and I did predictions, Russell. Um, I didn't fancy Italy either, and I've been proved wrong on that. Um, but I think in terms of the semi-finals, um, the one tonight between Italy and Spain um, uh, uh, will not be as close as the one tomorrow night. I agree with that. Yeah, yeah. I agree with that. The one tonight, tomorrow night, of course, is England against Denmark. We've mentioned the first couple of quarterfinals. The second couple of quarterfinals that brought about that semi-final fixture were England beating Ukraine 4-0. We've already talked quite a bit about that as well. Feel free to elaborate on that one as and when you want to. But um, the Czech-Denmark game, did you watch that? And I mean, it, it, I thought the Czechs are a good side. They're, they're a very fiddly side. And I do rate the, the Danes. I thought they would be the dark horses uh, with the potential. Once the Ericsson situation happened and then they they played well but didn't get the results against Belgium, I thought that was good night Vienna. But they ended up being the first team to qualify after losing their first two games, partly due to the format of the competition. Um They've gone on from strength to strength and ended up managing their tournament pretty well. That's a good result, 2-1 against the Czechs in normal time. Um, they're, they're looking good. They are managing their tournament well. They're timing and peaking things nicely, aren't they? There is a theory they might run out of steam in this one. Uh, I, I think it, if they do, it's going to be a very close quarters affair before they do. Um, England, obviously, you look at that with a 4-0 one over Ukraine. We look like odds-on favourites, and we are the favourites to win the game, but it's, I agree with you, Andy Kay. I don't think it's going to be an easy match. It's not going to be a foregone conclusion. Firstly, we're not probably going to score quite so conveniently time-wise as we did in the Ukraine game at the beginning of each half. Yeah. I mean, um, the Czech Republic may well be the, the country that surprised me the most. I think, think they've been really, really good. Having said Schick, that... another player we haven't mentioned yet. Yeah. Schick has been good, hasn't he? But, you know, the the two players at West Ham have been extremely good uh, during the tournament, and they they have been for West Ham as well. Um, they've been um, kind of rated by the uh, more sensible, serious pundits um, uh, in terms of the Premier League performances. Having said that, I I I didn't think it was that close a game between Denmark and, and the Czech Republic. I, I thought Denmark kind of dominated it. Um, and in terms of the um, one player that we haven't mentioned, actually, in terms of um, the tournament, is um, Kiar, Simon Kiar. He's been really, really good in this tournament. And you mentioned that Belgium game that Denmark played. played. Um, Denmark were amazing in that first half. Yeah. Mm. Just just in, in, in the second half, um, you know, Lukaku did one one bit of play where he just kind of bullied Kiar, and obviously um, De Bruyne came on and and just lit lit the tournament up. Um, but you know, thereafter he wasn't fully matched fit, and without him firing on all cylinders, they weren't really going to have a chance. Um, but it, I, I suppose the the key thing about the Denmark-England game is um, against Germany um, Southgate played a back three or five or um, however you want to conceive of it to, to nullify their threat um, particularly at wing-back um, and obviously we've mentioned Marla already so I, I wonder whether he's going to make that move um, 
Um, certainly starting off that game. Um, and I, uh, I think it will be a kind of more of a high octane game. I mean, I, I really take Andy B's point, um, that Italy have just played with the most intensity of any teams. Whereas, whereas England have done it in spells. And it's that that's really impressed me, actually. Hmm. Um, uh, the question is, can they do it for prolonged periods? Which, you know, once you get to this stage of the competition, they're, they're going to have to do it for for longer. But, you yeah. know, as as you've indicated, Russell, you know, Southgate's kind of preserved the energy levels of the squad. And, um, you know, you can kind of imagine Greenish being unleashed. You know, the fact that Kane's all of a sudden look like the top player that he is um, and he really didn't in those first few games he looked leaden footed um, you know that, those are the positive sides but, and um, this is in, in a year when you've, you've just had a compressed season so everybody could be much more exhausted than normal and all of the star players in England squad are, are well most of them are in England so they've had that intense longer season than perhaps they might have done for example if they were playing in Germany with a slightly smaller league table to contend with um yeah i think i think it's been very impressive i do think um we'll get past denmark but it's going to be very difficult and um yeah i just i just hope that we continue to do what we're doing right which is everything <laughs> i think if we keep if we keep doing what we're doing um i predict we do get to the final i've, I've had two notions in mind for the final um both of them involve us playing italy um one is that italy managed to outmaneuver us and they get the win and, and you can put your hands up and say fair enough if that's the case if we've done our best the second one is that um both teams managed to cancel each other out it goes to a low scoring draw nil nil or one all or something like that goes to penalties now if it goes to penalties i think we win the euros on penalties wouldn't that be a great way to conclude this this whatever it is 20 30 year 40 year hang up that we've had um, depending on how you want to count it, uh, of, of supporting England. Um, <laughs> imagine, could you imagine? But I do feel confident that actually, joking aside, we are much better prepared for a scenario like that as well, as well as everything else that he's done well. We've got sports psychologists involved. You can you can hear and see there's a lot more thought going into every element of it. And apparently they have been planning a lot uh, on the penalty side of things should they need it, which... Interestingly, we haven't had to use because we've managed the the game so well. Yeah. But Italy is is a is a tall tall order, isn't it? And it's much more likely to go to pens if we are to prevail than it would be um, in any of the other games so far. But any final thoughts on the tournament before we have a break for half time? Incidentally, just to mention that Robin dropped off due to internet reasons. In case you're wondering, we're not snubbing him; he's not on the screen still, and just being being uh, muted by me or anything uh, he he did drop out he's moving tomorrow so i don't know if um if his um internet providers have cut him off slightly too soon that might be what's happened who knows um but, but andy and andy any further thoughts on the euros before we move on to matters albion in part two no nothing to add it's well it seems good. a good place yeah, absolutely. It, it has been. It's, it's been great. I absolutely loved it. And I really hope that the, the games continue to be as good as they have been. We won't have another podcast till after the final, by the way. So quick predictions from you, you two. Do we get past this game? And if so, do we win the whole thing? Um, I predicted England to win it before the tournament. So I'm Ooh. 
that I'm going to stick with it. Fair play, um, yeah. Yeah, hope over expectation, but that, that, that's sort of levelling up a little bit. Um, yeah, why not? Excellent. Andy Kay? Uh, you're, you're going to say it to the aren't you? I, well, you know that I don't like making predictions. Um, I know, that's why I'm doing it to you. <laughs> yeah, but as you are asking, um, I will say Italy. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I've got a horrible feeling. The final. But, yeah. If we get to the final, at least we've got that extra stage. We've actually got to a major final again. That would be something to take from this tournament and definitely stuff to build on for that that um, that tournament in 18 months that Andy B is not going to be watching. Yeah. It'll be, I mean, um... all, all I'll say <laughs> is that I think that if England do get to the final, they've got a better chance of beating Italy than Denmark have. Yeah, and and who knows? It might not be Italy. There could be a twist in the could, tale. It could be Spain. Yeah, I definitely like that. They're creating chances. They've got, you know, they've got players that can really pass. The I can't, I cannot for the life of me remember the the guy's name now. But they're, Pedri. They're, yeah, Pedri, probably one of the best passers of the ball in the tournament. Oh, he's just, outstanding, isn't he? He's beautiful. I mean, and I and I say that when there's been some. Fantastic passes to the ball in this yeah. tournament, but he's mm. been absolutely fantastic. And yeah, if anyone can unlock that that defence, it's him. It's just whether Morata can finally at barn door from five yards again. I don't know. I mean, yeah, he's been overlooked a bit, hasn't he? Because because Spain have been underwhelming as a team. He's he's been overlooked somewhat, but he, he's a cracking player. Really I think it's going to be. I'm looking forward to. It. I think I think it's going to be a good game to watch. I think both. I think. For diff- maybe for different reasons, but I think there's a, these have the potential to be two cracking bits of tournament football. And let's yeah. hope so, because it deserves it, doesn't it? This tournament yeah, it deserves does. a good conclusion. Yeah, yeah. Let's my, hope so. My, right. my, my problem with Spain is that I don't think their defence is that good. No. Italy will hurt them, I think. Um, that's going to be the crux of the matter. But we'll, we'll see. Next time we're on air, will be um, a couple of days after the final... Um, so hopefully we'll be in crazy celebration mode. So we're back with part two. Andy Bass, Andy Kay, uh, also Andy Knott, we could call you, and uh, me, Russell, uh, just the three of us. Robin's still not back from internet woes. He's moving house tomorrow. We think he's cut his internet off a bit too early, I think. Um, this is all just part of a cunning plan to avoid taking Andy Bass on in the quiz that we had planned, <laughs> which we will probably have to postpone for another time now. Um, he's running scared, and he's the champion as well, Andy. You must be pretty disappointed with that sort of, uh, sort of behaviour. Um, <laughs> Never mind. Anyway, <laughs> well, I'm on the beers. I've had a bit of Tiny Rebel Pineapple Express IPA, and now doing a fusion mix of Urban Fog, Michaela and um, Brewdog. Uh, pretty nice. We're just talking about um, Danish noir and all that sort of stuff. Another round at the cinema and various other things. But the main news we need to talk about is Albion related. There's been lots of it, actually, since our last podcast last week. Um, we've been signing lots of people. <laughs> um, let me just quickly list that for you, just in case you're wondering if you've missed something. Um, obviously, we, we started off with getting Jeremy Somiento, um from... Benfica, who's an ex-under-17s England international, um, a young prospect who reportedly might have been 
close to joining the likes of Barcelona and Bayern, but we've managed to get him. That's pretty impressive if that's true. Uh, looks a really exciting prospect, still pretty young, and he's going to go, technically he's been announced as being with the 23s. We'll see how and when that might change into senior in due course. We'll talk about that in a second, but just to quickly mention the other ones, um, literally today, um, as we record this Tuesday evening, the 20, uh, the whatever date is, sixth, is it today? Um, Zambian midfielder who's been linked in the last couple of days in, in the rumour mill, Enoch, M- I think it's Mwepu, it's pronounced. Yeah. Uh, yeah, from RB Salzburg, um, who is a midfielder, central midfielder, can play, I think, in other positions, but he, he seems to have a lot of attacking credentials, looks very good. But the third and most important one of those, I think, came between the two, or it might have been before Samienko, is, of course, that we've re-signed Gary Dicker to our 23s That is the signing of the summer. <laughs> we're clearly doing an Andrew Croft-style um, scenario there where we're getting a senior player to, to coach from on the pitch, I think, and maybe there's a plan to get him into the coaching setup uh, as well. I don't know. Guys, let's talk about those. I'm sure you're itching to talk about Gary Dicker, but should we, should we go to the other ones first? And um, what do you make of the signings so far? Um, yeah, they're really good. We also re-signed um, Ryan Longman for another two years as well. That's I, right, assume, yeah. I assume we're going to send him out on loan again, but maybe at a higher level than we had him out before. Um, so it's good to see one of our forward uh, young forwards being cultivated in the same way that we're cultivating the defenders and midfielders. Hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I mean the you know the Albion plan is now clear. Jeremy Sarmiento definitely in sort of like the the Moises Caicedo type of like you know potentially high upside. Um, but low risk signing um, looks to be an exciting young player, and I just think we the way that we're set up now with the with Lansing with the way the Potter you know, the coaching style of uh, Potter is like these are the sort of players that really suit that we we're, we're building our, our club around. Um, you know, there's a real definite plan, so hopefully. You know, hopefully it's going to work out. So, yeah, potentially very exciting because you just don't know which which of these young players are going to burst onto the scene. I mean, it does happen. Uh, you Absolutely. Know, yeah. at 17, you know, 17, 18, you suddenly, you know, break through. Um, and I think it's a good, you know, I think it's good that we're doing it. But the real exciting one is um, Enoch Mwepu, who we signed today, looks just a brilliant player just a big engine good at tackling can move the ball forward quickly just a real engine for that midfield and yeah. you know either someone to play alongside Biss or maybe if Biss does go it's not leaving such a big hole if he's going to be in there to to fill it and also we, we have so many players in that in that area of the pitch now that it and and they all have different qualities you know some are better going forward some are better defensively and you know it's just a really important part of the pitch and I think we've invested heavily there yeah. and I think we're, we're 
sorted at goalkeeper. Even if White goes, we're kind of sorted at centre-back. And now we're sorted in centre midfield. So the spine of that team is now finally coming together and having Danny Welbeck fit and from the start of the season could could be invaluable. I mean, that could be worth another maybe yeah. four or five goals to us. We, we, we had um, David Proper, we mentioned on the last episode at, at Lefty Combat's BSV. And um, if this is to just effectively be a replacement in personnel for him rather than a replacement for Bissouma, which some people have been talking about. And that's the strengthening of the team by the looks of it. He seems to be a powerhouse, just over six foot tall. Um, he's 23 and a half years old. Um, he's got nine goals in 72 games for Salzburg as well. So he's, he's mucking in with a few goals along the way as well. I don't know how whether that ratio is increasing as he's going along or not. I don't know. But um, he, he looks a really good player, doesn't he, Andy, Andy Kay? Uh, yeah, uh, let me say a few things um, about uh, several issues that have been raised. I'm glad that Andy at the end mentioned Danny Welbeck because I think his re-signing is really, really important. I, mean, yes. um, I think we all acknowledge that the one area of pitch where um, both the quantity and the quality isn't as high as elsewhere is, is up front. Um, and you know, the return from Welbeck, I thought, last season was extremely good. We couldn't really have expected too much more from him. He got six goals from 20, 25 appearances, because, of course, he joined late. Um, um, but they were also all goals from open play as well, which is, I think, something to stress. Um, mm. So I'm really glad that he re-signed. Um, uh, you, you and I, Russell, had a slight altercation about Enoch Mwepo. Uh, um, I, I don't think he's quite as attacking as um, you perhaps think, but that, that may well be just a slightly different um, understanding of what an ACM is. I always think an ACM is someone that plays higher up the pitch and is one of those kind of technical threading, you know, good vision threading balls through. Whereas this guy, to me, from what I've seen of him, he's he's box to box. He's got a really big engine on him, but he, he starts an awful lot deeper. But he 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 can carry the ball great distances through quite crowded defences, but also make those late runs into the box. Um, and that's mm. the way in which he's scored most of his goals. Well, but, that does sound like you've described Basuma, doesn't it, there, actually? So maybe well, it is more it, of a replacement. Who knows? Yeah, I mean, um, Basuma that turned up for us was slightly different to the one that um, I think will be leaving us this summer. So I, I mm. don't think... Um, well, firstly, I think Basuma should be sold um, and secondly, I think he, he will be sold. Um, and the the first point, um, you know, obviously you'd, you'd want to keep the same for as long as possible. But, but I think part of our whole process is about um, uh, 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 kind of moving players on for large fees um, and us being that stepping stone. Um, hmm. And everything to me, suggests that White and, and Basima will be sold 
for large sums this window. Um, yeah. And I, I just don't think that's a bad thing at all. Um, yeah. Jeremy Samiento, I, I can't really comment. Uh, apparently he's quite similar in style to Jaden Sancho. And if he, he's got the kind of quality that Sancho has, then yeah, that would be great. But I, I, I suspect in terms of um, Oweto, he, he will start. Um, there is a lot of competition in that area. Um, I, I kind of think if we replace um, Basuma, then we almost need two players playing in that kind of middle area. Um, and ideally with an awful lot of energy and dynamism, you know, I, I would expect that probably Moda and Oweto would be the ones to start. But um, what it's last season me. told us was that um, Pas Pascal Gross uh, um, shouldn't be underestimated. Absolutely. With, with Basuma, um, just a couple of stats from last season. Um, I think people people look at him and uh, they look at his defensive work, certainly. Um, certainly shooting hasn't been his, his biggest criteria. He's, he's had a couple of cracking goals, but aside from that, hasn't done much in that offensive sense. But um, if you look at most tackles attempted, which is this curious stat Sky Sports have been putting on their little banner on the side of the, of the screen... Um, he's second only to Luke Ayling of Leeds, who had 108 tackles attempted. He's got 104, Basuma. And then you've got Hoiberg, Ndidi and Wan-Bissaka below that, comfortably below that. And in terms of interceptions, um, he ranks fourth in the Premier League. Um, 20 off top but with 64, which is, I mean, that, that's where he's really made his mark for us, isn't he? And if, um, but, well, he's um, basically going to perform a similar position on the pitch as a replacement or a part replacement. I think um, it's more important to look at those stats. And as you said, if he's box to box, which Basuma can be, uh, he's an exciting prospect anyway, isn't he? He's certainly very much a first team signing. I think it's, it's safe to say on that score. Um, always... oh, sorry, I interrupted. Uh, no, go uh, ahead. No. Uh, I mean, to be honest, when I was watching his highlight reel, um, it was the tackling that I was looking at because I, because that's Basuma's best quality. It's his most important. It's the most important um, part of his job for the Albion. It's this is why he's been so central to our success. It's not the flashy runs forward and then like the thirty-yard goals. Because quite frankly, those were probably flukes because his shooting's terrible. <laughs> but but what he does is he. He breaks up play. He, ring, he, he you know, he, he wins the ball. Um, he, he, yeah, he's, he, he provides cover for for our defenders and provides a base for our attacks to to spring off. and And that's what that's what I think Mwepo is being brought in for. Um, I think you know, getting his foot in and then taking the ball out of the tackle and moving it forward and passing it on. He's quite good at linking up linking up with other players going forward, just do, not doing big flashy stuff, short five-yard pass to the teammate, maybe get it back on a return. That's all you need to do. You don't need to over overdo it. It's just those little... That's what makes good midfielders, just like doing the small things well and properly, get, keeping, you know, keeping, your, keeping your team in possession yeah. or in, you know... And 
I really hope that um, we, we're going to see the best of it. It sounds like we will. In terms of, you mentioned Basuma is likely to leave Andy, Andy Kay, and obviously um, uh, Ben White is the other one. He's the, the only, one of the only guys that hasn't played for England in this Euros tournament, but I think that's fair enough given the circumstances. However, the speculation continued around him. There's been rumours of, of um, post-50 mil bids. Arsenal supposedly have had two bids rejected with a third one being prepared, whatever that means. Um, it does seem likely that he'll leave. Regardless of that, a couple of people that are leaving, and we've already mentioned Proper's already gone, and uh, Danny Cashman, who we had on the show, um, has left as one of those released from the, um, from the youth side. But there's more outbounders. Uh, Ryan, Matty Ryan, is, is going to associate that, isn't he? Um, in the end, it looks like first... Yet? It's not confirmed yet as we as we record this, but um, yeah, apparently they're in advanced negotiations. It seems that his priority is, is first-team football over... Rank of club because Arsenal were, of course, the other team interested. It seems that he favours getting more game time. Of course, he's familiar with Spain from having been at Valencia before. Um, so we'll see what happens on that one. Bernardo apparently has left. His contract, I think, has ended, hasn't it? But he's officially been confirmed as having moved to. Is it the team he was with last season on loan? I can't remember now. So I suspect that the Mwepo deal was probably being discussed about the same time. Oh, yeah. That's right, yeah, Salzburg. Yeah, you're uh, right, absolutely. So, uh, yeah, apparently we had quite a good relationship with them. And it does seem to be a good player factory, RB Salzburg. Mm. You know, they have this model of taking players, building them up, and then selling them on for, you know, what they would consider reasonable sums of money. And then reinvesting that, and then and then doing it again, um, mm. which is the other thing that yeah, encourages I mean, me about Enoch because mm. that, that that team's got a good pedigree. It's like it's sort of like you know if we were going to one of the strikers that people are talking about us, you know, why don't we buy X and X? But on on a on a Nachu from uh, Genk is no. has been spoken about as a potential target by no. fans more than any serious commentators. But um, but again, like you know, that that team has been churning out high quality players that have gone on to done, do well in, uh, in other teams in Europe. So mm. it's you know, it's all interesting stuff. Yeah, I think we're, we're getting rid of the right people. Um, one bit of good news as well, by the way, is Casado, who we saw had an injury, apparently tried to run it off and went back on, had to come back off again during a Copper game. It's um, a tournament going on, of, of course, at the moment over in South America. Um, apparently he, um, well, not apparently, he did come on for the last 20 minutes of their game with Argentina, which is good news on, on two fronts. Firstly, the fact he came on, they deemed him fit, assuming that's not an ill-advised move, then it's great to see that he wasn't seriously injured. Secondly, it's good news in the fact they lost to Argentina, which was not a surprise, which means he can now rest for the rest of the summer or, or get back to pre-season training, as the case may be. I think the Albion players are reporting back on Thursday, aren't they, for their tests and stuff. Um, so that's good news. The other, the other observation I wanted to make was um, Graham Potter is now 25th out of the 92 in terms of longevity of managers and coaches. Utterly ridiculous, given that he's only been in charge... It's astonishing, isn't it? Just two well, years. It's 25 months, isn't it? I think. Yes, that's right. Yeah, 25 months. Um, he's been, he's the 25th longest serving of 92. He's climbed 67 places in just 76 games. And of the 24 above him, 10 are in the Premier League, interestingly. Um, 
the, the the most recent one to push him up the list was Brian Barry Murphy of Rochdale, I believe, who who left uh, a week or so ago. So incredible stat, isn't it? That it always you, you can go very high very quickly always in British football. I, I noticed with that stat. I know North Stand chat like to keep a running table, don't they, on that one? Um, and it's good news that he's he's going to stay. We've obviously, the, some of the footy news is that Nuno has finally decided on a permanent position. He's gone to Spurs. Um, Rafa Benitez has decided to undermine any goodwill with Liverpool fans by going to Everton, which is quite amusing. It does keep him in the local area. Short commute for work, bless him. Um, and Mario Silva's gone to Fulham, hasn't he? The, um, the former Wolves and... No, is it Wolves? No, Everton and... Hull, isn't he? Everton, the Hull manager. Um, that's because Scott Parker has left Fulham to go to Bournemouth. So quite a bit of um, movement's going on there. But of course, the biggest news on the managerial front, it's not Nuno, it's not Rafa. It's the other seemingly decade-long search for a manager that's going on with our dearly beloved friends in South London. Crystal Palace have finally got their 11th choice, or whatever it is. It's Patrick Vieira. What do you make of that, guys? Are we sniggering or are we, uh, are we quietly well, you, worried? Or... You, you don't like to tempt fate. No, <laughs> there is that. Uh, you know, in all seriousness, I, I'm not entirely sure that Crystal Palace is a, in its current state is one that's really going to help Vieira push on with his managerial career. Um, yeah, he was at I New York City, wasn't he? And I then Nice went started well, went wrong, got sacked. Yeah, I think it's a it's a difficult job right now in terms of um, just just the admin of having to deal with half you know a dozen contracts. Who's coming? Who's going? Is you know what's happening with Wilf? Are they going to get any money to spend? And by the time they get to spend it, will there be anybody? Will there be anybody left to spend it on? Um, is he good with young players and academy? And I, apparently, I, he's he's enthused by that element. But um, yeah, but yeah I, you know, I mean, ten people turned up to to pre-season uh, this week. You know, that's the, that's the magnitude of the situation at the moment with yeah, Palace I mean, in terms I, of senior players. I, I agree with Andy. To, I mean, to me, this looks like a baptism of fire. Um, I, I think it's going to be a really tough job for him um, because he, as a person, you've got to admire him. Um, perhaps we won't if he comes to the Almets or we go to their place. Um, but yeah, to me, it looks like a really tough job and um, we'll have Palace 6-4 to four to go down. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah, they're fourth favourites now, aren't they? They've plummeted yeah. in the last um, week or so. But I mean, the, I mean, the rebuild it, job is just—I mean, it's massive. It's uh, hard to yeah. rebuild a team in the Premier League, yeah, because yeah. you don't—you don't get given that much slack. Um, you know, if if you, you know, it's like, like you know, I follow the NFL, and if you if you've got a poor team and you have to rebuild. It takes you a few years. You don't do it overnight. You know you're going to be bad for the next three or four seasons simply because it takes that amount of time to get the new players in and get the systems up and running. And in the Premier League, which is not com- is not competitive in terms of like everyone can win it, not everybody can win it, but 
quite a lot of people can go down in it. And that is competitive when you're yeah. basically looking at 10 or 11, certainly at the beginning of the season, 10 or 11 teams that that you're in competition with. Mm-hmm. And it's pretty cutthroat. And it, I mean, it is, I mean, it is, you know, it is a difficult, it is a difficult league to stay in. And I, and I think, you know, all joking aside, I think Palace have got a job on this 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 season. Yeah. I think it's going to be very tough. I agree with you, Andy. It's, it's a really tough call because you've got so much, so much personnel changing. You've got a, a change of manager, a change of staff, playing staff. Um, you've got um, a situation where you've, you've got a solid level that you can play at and somehow survive at. Once you take that away, there's, there's nothing certain. That psychologically must play into the minds of particularly when you've got a load of new players, but playing into the minds of the players in general. And I think they will be seen as weak. And I think because of that, players, uh, teams will go at them a bit more, maybe to a detrimental degree, who knows. But I think they're going to really struggle. Will they survive? Maybe, because the gap is big with the championship. Um, but then you look at Norwich, they've, they've signed Billy Gilmore on loan from Chelsea, which is a really good signing for them. I think that's a good move and he'll get the game time. He is a good player. I rate him. Um, he played really well against England. Um, um, surprising they didn't play him in the earlier matches, to be honest, um, in, in the tournament. Anyway, um, he, he's a good player. Yes, they've lost Wendia, but um, I think, yeah. you know... I mean, I, I agree with you on both those points. Um, Gilmore looks good, but it, it was Buendia that was tearing it up in the, yeah. in the championship for Norwich. Yeah. Um, I don't know if they've lost. I mean, they had a guy on loan in central mid who was holding, and he apparently made the difference. I'm not sure. I can't remember his name, but I'm not sure. He's from Tottenham. Yes, that's him. That's him. He's on loan, isn't he? And he's not. Yeah. He's not with them now. So I think um, Norwich are probably going to go again. But but back to Palace. I mean, hmm. much of that. I mean, you have to hand it to to Roy Hodgson. He did set them up to be more than the sum of their parts. Yeah, absolutely. They, they they had a defensive solidity to them, and then could play on the break, and 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 that that's what they were. Hmm. You know, I um they will struggle to emulate under a new manager, and particularly with quite different personnel that defensive solidity, um and uh, especially if they lose Zaha. Or probably even worse, they keep an unhappy Zaha. Hmm. Put that on top of um, Eze, who was probably their best player last season. He's going to be out for over half the season, I think. That's, yeah. that's the real hammer blow for them. I, I personally think they would probably be a better team without Zaha in it now. I think they have to they have to think a little bit more broadly in, in how they attack. But they've they've just hamstrung themselves. <laughs> Andy, just... Andy Kay's got to go. Andy, thank right. you for joining us, Andy Kay. Bye, all. Cheers. Oh, cheers. Cheers. <laughs> but, um, and then there were two. <laughs> yeah, they've just hamstrung themselves um, mm. by by keeping him on too long. I, yeah, they're not really going to be cash be able to get the maximum value for him. Um, and you know, and, and I just feel so much more excited about us. I mean, I think there are other rivals for potential rivals for hmm. Palace, but I, I mean, I, yeah, you know, I'm going to say now, I, I think 
I would be disappointed if we did not finish above them. Absolutely. I know we have already been disappointed by previous but, campaigns, but, but, but this one more but, than ever. I, but I think there's a lot more weight behind our hope that we do it. I think, yeah. I think the fragility yeah. of their transitions with managers, coupled with the fact that I felt we didn't get the points level we should have done last year, and I do think we will improve on that this year. Yeah. Just a mixture of luck, a mixture of um, better injury situations. Well, luck again, I guess you could say, and and improvements in squad. Um, I do think we'll finish above them. Um, I think the bookies are not often wrong. They've got us as twelfth in the table, and Palace as seventeenth. I think at the moment, as things stand. Um, I do think it's a tough one. Yeah, it is, it is tough for, for Palace. It's tough for Vieira. There's a lot of pressure on him. I think he knows that he's under pressure in terms of, you know, people are scrutinising his career so far. It's such a tough him, change, isn't it? Yeah, and also I think they have to give him a chance. I think... Yeah. They You've should, got to I, give him yeah. longer than Frank, Frank de Boer, whatever, whatever he does in the first few games, haven't he? So I, I, think, I think if Palace did did get go down this season they, they, they probably have a good decent chance of getting back up I would mm. fancy them to do that and I, I just don't know whether the people running the club are, have the patience to I'm not convinced with how well they're run I don't think Dougie Friedman's a convincing character a convincing figure as, as a football a technical director I think is his description there um, I'm not sure about him. I do think they do have a lot of talent coming through their academy, but I think they are blessed by an abundance of riches. I think you, you look at the South London talent that's come through, not all of it at Palace, but in general, it's, it's, it, there's so many pickings there, aren't there? And yeah. um, you look at Jaden Sancho, who's coming back to the UK. Um, he's signed, signing up with Manu, isn't he? And he's going to be a great talent. Um, he's from South London. I'm just wondering if they're missing the boat a bit because obviously Chelsea can tap into that South London element, can't they? Because they're South West. And I wonder if other clubs might do as well. Um, it just doesn't seem very appealing at the moment, I have to say. And I'm not complaining about that, of course. No, absolutely <laughs> um, not. Yeah, but there we go. We, of course, also get some talent from South London too, which is, which is quite satisfying. But I agree with you, Andy. I, I do feel that when you look at how we're set up, and it's not just gloating but it, I do feel very satisfied with the way our setup is compared with when you look at our rivals down the road there a club of comparative size broadly speaking uh, certainly in terms of ambition from the fans point of view similar from the club point of view I think very different I think we we're looking to step on and I think while of course Crystal Palace's board and owners will will be hoping to do the same I don't think realistically they're they're looking at the same uh, same targets as we are in terms of uh, future I just growth. Think everything we're doing makes sense. It's part of a plan. Yeah. And yeah. as Andy was saying, I mean, he expects White and Basuma to be sold. Um, I would like to think we only sell one of them, but but I but I believe the sale of a player for fifty million plus that's part of the plan. Yeah. For and if it is one out of two, I'm happy with one out of two. That would be brilliant, wouldn't it? We, you know, we buy low, we sell high, you mm. reinvest, and we've tipped, you know, we've just taken it one run at, run, one run at a time on, on the Premier League ladder. And 
I just think it's, you know it's it's, it's methodical, up. isn't it? It's methodical. Yeah, it's there's there's no there's there's no real risk taking. It's like no, this is you know we're doing this is what is supposed to happen if we do this. Obviously, you know we have to like be good in our selection process about who we who we bring in and who we get to coach. But everything we seem to be doing, it's all on purpose. Whereas at, mm. at Palace, it's not because they're not no. doing what they want. No, they're not. They they're caught between two, you know, a rock and a hard place. They they yeah. they're having to make decisions that wouldn't necessarily be their first choice. Yeah, I look think. at look at Graham Potter. I think he was there or thereabouts the first choice, wasn't he? There thereabouts. And you look at Palace, and they've gone through a number of managers. Some of them obvious names. Um, they don't look like they're thinking outside the box, and they've settled on a manager who we could have plucked out of the air much earlier on in the in the process. Um, but there's a whole cohesion, there's a whole setup, a unit. You look at every element of the club, there's everything just fits together. And not everything's going to work, obviously, but most of it will. And if you if you run it right, it'll work, generally speaking. And I yeah. think that's where we're at. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um just one of the one of the quick bit of general football news to throw in. Peter Crouch is a part owner of Dulwich Hamlet, speaking of South London. Do you know about that? Uh, yes, apparently he started his professional career he at did, yeah. and he wants to give yeah, something I th- back. I think they're well run, but they've been struggling due to circumstance. And I think um, he's, he's brought in to help them out. So fair play to him. Um, that's all good to hear. A couple of bits on going back to the Euros, just to round off, Andy. Um, a friend of the show, a good mate of mine, Tim, who listens every week, who is well, normally based in Switzerland, but he's been based in Italy in more recent months um, on a work-for-home basis. And he went to the game. Uh, he went to the quarterfinal. Oh, wow, um, brilliant. Yeah. He, uh, I, I, don't, I forgot to ask him how long his train journey is. I, I looked it up, I Googled it. From where he's staying to Rome, it's, it's a nine-and-a-half-hour journey minimum by car. Uh, he took the train, so I'm, I'm guessing it's five or six hours. I'm not sure. He didn't get much sleep. Um, he yeah. got sent off by the local village where he's staying, all the locals there, which is brilliant. And um, it sounded like a great, great bit of fun. And he was at the game on his own. He, he didn't even get much video footage because his battery was dying by then. But he said, "What a what a time!" He said, "Apparently, we were outnumbering the Ukrainians in, in terms of the uh, in the stadium, which is interesting because that wasn't the way it was being billed in the media." But he, he was at the game. Another friend of mine, Courtney, is reputedly going to be in the what is being described as Denmark end at Wembley for the semi-final. Somehow he's got a ticket. I'm yet to find out how. <laughs> um, there were still and, some available today. But like you, the, you, as with all these things, the, the website keeps tripping yeah, the odd yeah. ticket out. Um, but I thought, I thought the atmosphere in Rome on Saturday was fantastic. I thought the team were really well backed. Um, I like the Caserole, I guess, Wembley. Yeah. Uh, Dom, <laughs> that was great. It was quite wasn't ironic it? because none of the people in that state <laughs> were going to be allowed anywhere near the UK. Um, <laughs> but uh, I thought that was splendid. And I, and I thought the atmosphere against Germany was just, just yeah, insane. Was sublime. Superb, was wasn't insane. it? I've never seen a football. Yeah, and that's, that's with less than... Less than half the crowd. Football crowd go so absolutely mental. It was just superb, yeah. just superb, and it, it was good, isn't it? And 
what, what I like about um, this, there are a couple of points, actually. I'm looking at some, some of the reports in the media, the fans that were gravitating to, to Rome for the game. You've had a different kind of England fan, didn't you? It's quite interesting. You have people from Dubai, America, Australia, France, and obviously Italy as well, including my mate Tim. Yeah, um, Germany, Gwen as well. Yeah, the dynamic, the, the behaviour, the sort of type of fan was different. Just as passionate, just as interested, but a different type, which is inter- interesting to observe. So I thought that was good. The other point I was going to make is it, I, I think it did us well to, to get away from Wembley after the Germany game. I think a change of pace, a change of setting, I think just halfway through the tournament, as it might be if we go the whole way, was perfect. It, it, you couldn't replicate what happened in the Germany game in terms of atmosphere. And it could have been a little bit flat if we'd had another Wembley game that wasn't as good. Whereas Rome, you've got an excuse for it not being so good. We got through the game and now we get into a semi-final where we know the atmosphere will now be as good as it was, in fact, better than it was against so Germany it, it because 60,000. Yeah, it took the pressure off the players for that mm. for that in-between game. Mm. It was a game that I'm, you know, I'm sure you know they took it seriously and everything, but they would have been expect they would have been confident in their ability to get a result. But it just meant that they could just enjoy the Germany game, but not be surrounded by the the hoo ha that you inevitably get when England do win in a tournament in yeah. England. Obviously, it will go back for the semi-final and hopefully mm. the final um, and you you just have to deal with it. But yeah, that little break would have just been a nice little respite for the, for the players in terms of our land to relax a little bit. And, and they seem to benefit from it on Saturday because the manner in which they won that game was, was just so comfortable. Beautiful, wasn't it? And Dave, even Jordan Henderson got his first goal for England, having yeah. screwed that penalty up three the other headers. day. How often do you see three, yeah. three headers in one, in one game? I think, isn't that a record, actually? I've got a feeling that might be a record for the tournament. I mean, we also, there's a few other records. We've seven games without conceding for England, including friendlies. We are, I think it's the first time anyone's failed to concede, or sorry, managed to avoid conceding in five successive games to start off a tournament as well, I think, um, or, or we've equaled a record, I think, something like that, haven't we? Um, I think Italy, maybe we've matched Italy on that, I'm not sure. But we, we're breaking all the records, and we, as you said, we're managing the tournament well. As we speak, we're 45 minutes away from the first semi-final kicking off, Spain, Italy. So we're going to break off for our dinner and for, for the football now. But Andy, Andy Bass, it's been a pleasure for you to join us. It's been a while. It's good to have you back on. Yes, um, yeah, good to be back. Yeah, yeah look, forward to, look forward to many more, more to come, of course. Um, next week, we will be doing a podcast recorded probably on Tuesday, but it'll be after the final. Hopefully, England are celebrating a win then. And I'm getting on a Brentford fan who is um, going to talk about Brentford, uh, their recent history, getting in the Premier League. And um, also, he's a, a staunch England fan. So I think he's going to most or all of the games. So it'd be good to get his perspective on things. Stay tuned for that, folks. We're doing that from the Gladstone next week, by the way, uh, back in the pub. Not that I am unable to resist it or anything, but uh, <laughs> I might just pop back anyway, you know. <laughs> um, in the meantime, thank you very much for listening. As always, if you want to contact the show, you can you can write to us at email brightonrockpodcast at gmail.com you can contact brightonrockpod on twitter 
Um, also check out my film podcast that I do with my mate, Big Phil. Hello, Phil, um, who um, is my cohort in talking about top fives on film subjects. If you fancy that, you can look that up on all good platforms and loads of bad ones as well. It's called Film Fives and you can tweet them on Film Fives 1 or look them up on Facebook. Also, if you can, if you haven't already, or if you know anybody that else could do it on your behalf to add to the numbers, please do rate us five stars if you can, write reviews, all of that stuff, it all helps. Please do that if you can, guys. Every bit of that is appreciated and helps, um, well, distort our, the reality of this just being a bit of a drunken chat. <laughs> Nothing more. <laughs> no. Anyway, Andy, thank you very much for joining me. Yeah, great pleasure. Thank you also to Andy Knott, who was on earlier, and to Robin, who dropped out very early due to internet reasons. He's moving tomorrow. Good luck with the move, Robin. Um, and in the meantime, I'm going to part in the usual way by saying, stand or fall up the Albion. And we're coming back in because Andy B wanted to sign out with me. Let's do that again, shall we, Andy? So, stand or fall. Up the Albion. Yes. <laughs> Sports Social Podcast Network. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.